All right, turn your Bibles to the back of the book. I'm not talking about the concordance. (laughs) Revelation chapter 22. Revelation 22. Yes, I've read the last chapter. And we are on the winning side. Amen. Amen. You know, we may wonder about how a lot of things are going to turn out, elections, that kind of thing. But in the end, this is the only thing that matters right here. What God says in his word. Now, I want you to notice just a couple of verses. Notice verse 12. And behold, I come quickly. And my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Now look at verse 20. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. And that's what I want to major on tonight is that statement, even so, come Lord Jesus, praying for Jesus' return. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now in the name of the Lord Jesus, and we look forward today to the day when we get to see him face to face. Lord, it'd be wonderful if it was even tonight when we would come face to face with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we want to have the heart that John had to say, even so, come Lord Jesus. Deal with our hearts tonight, I pray. And Father, challenge us in our heart. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. Jesus is coming again. You know that. You've seen it in the book. He promised to come again. He says an awful lot about his coming. Matter of fact, his coming, not just the first time, but the second time, was also prophesied in the Old Testament. He said so, the angel said so when he ascended up into heaven that this same Jesus which is taken up from you shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. We do not preach on the second coming of Jesus Christ enough. I tell you, that was the truth that really changed the life of Dr. Robertson. He majored on the second coming of Christ. Not as a prophecy preacher, but as a promise preacher. He believed the promise of the Lord Jesus Christ. You realize one out of every 30 verses in the Bible mention the doctrine of the second coming of Christ. To every one reference of his first coming, there are eight to his second coming. 318 references to it out of the 260 chapters in the New Testament. This is a sure thing. Jesus is coming back. Whole books and chapters are devoted to it. This doctrine obviously has brought some kooks out of the woodwork. You had Harold Camping who has found out since he died he had it all messed up. But he gave several prophecies that Christ would return. And of course had said the dates and the newspaper picked up the dates that he predicted. Which makes me wonder if I predicted a date Jesus was coming back if the newspapers would pick it up. But I don't want him to get wind of anything like that. So I'm not going to. I'm just going to say he's coming. He's coming. And it could be today. As a matter of fact, there were five different times that the Jehovah's Witnesses head guys have said Jesus was coming back. And they missed it, of course, each time. But Jesus made it plain. 
We will not know the day nor the hour that Jesus would come back. Now think about that for a second. What on earth is he talking about? Because we do have the prophecy concerning the rapture of the church where Jesus comes back into the clouds, not all the way to the earth, and catches us up to be with him. And then we have the prophecy of his coming all the way to the earth in Revelation chapter 20. And uh, when he, Revelation chapter 19, and when he comes back, of course, he'll destroy the armies of the world and set up his kingdom. I mean, the Bible is very, very plain about that. Here's the thing. If you go to the abomination of desolations, which takes place in the middle part of the tribulation period, according to the book of Revelation, we even have the number of days that will be involved for him to come all the way to the earth. But Jesus said, no man will know the day or the hour of his coming. Why? Because his coming is in two parts. He comes first to catch his believers away to be with him. And there is absolutely nothing that has to be fulfilled in Scripture for that to take place. All the signs in Scripture concerning the second coming of Jesus Christ have to do with his coming all the way to the earth to set up his millennial kingdom. All of those, all of those promises, those prophecies that involve signs deal with the revelation of Christ, not the rapture of the church. Oh, we can go back just about all my Christian life. Uh, we've been enamored by prophecy preachers who think they had it nailed down. Matter of fact, there was one in Chattanooga, Tennessee, that uh, read a book, wasn't the Bible, read a book, though, that talked about the alignment of the planets in 1982. And he got busy preaching on the alignment of the planets because what these secular authors described would take place on the earth when all the planets in the solar system got in, well, not a real straight line, but basically a straight line, that it would cause earthquakes. It would cause all kinds of uh, natural phenomena that would take place that sounded just like some of the things that God has given us in the Word of God will take place during the tribulation time. As a matter of fact, this man, therefore he believed, and by the way, there were some who preached that when Israel became a nation again, a generation would not pass uh, before Jesus came, uh, came again. And Israel, of course, became a nation in 1948. We all know that a generation is 40 years long. Therefore, Jesus would come all the way back to the earth in 1988. So go seven years before that. It would mean because you got the tribulation before he comes back to the earth. Uh, therefore, he would have to come back in 1981. But 1981 came and went. Jesus didn't come back. He missed it somewhere. There was a guy who wrote a book on 87 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1987. He missed it. So his next book was 88 Reasons Why He's Coming Back in 1988. He missed it again. And he gave particular dates when Jesus would have to come back. Listen, Jesus said, no man knows the day or the hour. Now that's enough for me. Some joker comes along and says they've got it figured out. They put the, the stuff in a computer and this is what it is spit back. Nobody knows. He's coming back when he comes back. And I say, hallelujah, even so come Lord Jesus. Now, when he comes back, we know after that there will be seven years of tribulation. By the way, that time does not start with the rapture of the church. 
It starts, according to the book of Daniel, when the Antichrist makes a seven-year deal with Israel. And in the middle of that, the abomination of desolation takes place. And at the end of the tribulation, Revelation chapter 19, Jesus comes all the way back to the earth. We have the description. It's absolutely phenomenal. But thank God, I'm not going to be here through all that stuff that takes place during the tribulation time. I'm going to be in glory, and I want you to know I am excited about that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 51, he says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. And then he tells us that we mortals will have to put on immortality, and the corruptible will put on incorruption. You see, mortals and incorruption. What what is he talking about there? Well, the mortals are those that are alive when Jesus comes back, that are his children, that he catches up to be with them. Their bodies are changed in the air like unto his glorious body. What about those who've already died? Well, God is going to... Uh, take, bring their body up out of the grave, no longer corrupting, an incorruptible body. And as a matter of fact, they get first shot. They go up first. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, it'll take place, and we get caught up to be with him. And that is mentioned for us. Go over just a moment to First Thessalonians chapter 4, and we'll just read the verses. Notice beginning in verse 13. He says, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from the heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. I got news for you. If we are going through the tribulation time, there's no comfort in that at all. But there is great comfort to know that he is coming back to catch us out of here because according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse, uh, let's see, verse 9, he says, For God hath not appointed us under wrath. The tribulation time, two main things take place. One is God calls a remnant out unto himself. First, by having 144,000 of Israel in Revelation chapter 7 realize that Jesus of Nazareth was their Messiah. Thus, and they're going to go out and literally witness to every nation, every kingdom, and they're going to win a great number to the Lord Jesus Christ. How wonderful that's going to be. The second reason is to pour out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world during those seven-year times when the Antichrist rules and reigns. Now, we're not going to get into the particulars in this message tonight. I'm just simply saying, even so, come Lord Jesus. I want him to come tonight. 
if he doesn't come tonight, then I'll want him to come tomorrow. But I really, I'd rather see the upper taker than the undertaker. I want to see him. And I think of some reasons. I just, I just sat and meditated on this. You know, I preached the message this morning. And uh, you've got to admit, man, the world is bleak. Now, it's, it just didn't suddenly become bleak. It's been bleak for a long time. There's been a lot of wickedness for a long time. And I know there have been a lot of preachers in the past who wanted Jesus to come, but they saw the undertaker first. Well, actually, you don't see the undertaker because you're gone by the time he gets you. Isn't that right? Anyway, <laughs> they, they have seen Jesus. But the Bible says this, Paul wrote, looking for the blessed hope and that glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The blessed hope is the appearing of Jesus Christ. He promised to come back. He said, behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. He says in verse 20 of chapter 21 or 22 of the book of Revelation, he was testified these things, saith, surely I come quickly, amen. And John's prayer was even so, come Lord Jesus. Say, preacher, why do you want him to come back? Let me give you a few reasons. I mean, I preached a hard message this morning. Let's just meditate on his coming tonight. Number one, I want him to come back even tonight because of the ever-expanding population. Do you realize that almost every day another 200,000 people are born on this planet? Every day. And most of those people are going to die and go to hell. I can remember when I went to Tennessee Temple, I think there was about 4 billion people on planet Earth. Today, there's almost 8 billion people on planet Earth who are going to spend eternity someplace, either in heaven or in hell. And with more being born every day and more without the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, I would say, even so, come Lord Jesus. You know, there are some people, they don't want him to come right now because they've got loved ones that are lost. But do you realize for every day, that means that many more people that are going to die and burn in hell forever. Oh, if Jesus just wait a while longer. No, even so, come Lord Jesus. Some people don't want him to come right now because they've got some things they'd like to do before he comes. Man, if there's anything on this planet that's better than Jesus coming back, you have got a wrong value system. To see him ought to be the number one thing in anybody's life. Do you realize with all the calamities that take place on this planet, as bad as they are, that after Jesus comes back for those who are still here, it's going to be far worse than really all the calamities on earth that have ever taken place put together. For instance, in Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 8, you've got when the star Wormwood falls that it takes out one-third of the population of the planet. Today, that would be about 2.75 billion people would die with just that one catastrophe that takes place during the tribulation time. You know, they just had that big earthquake over in Syria and Turkey. And I read a thing this morning that said uh, they're estimating right now they can confirm 31,000 people dead. 31,000. He said, it's horrific. It's terrible. Yes, it is. I agree with you completely about that. That's horrible. When that tsunami hit all across uh, the southeast uh, ocean down there, 
in Southeast Asia, when that took place, over 170,000 people were killed. But that's nothing compared to over 2 billion people being taken out with just one calamity. Plus, there's going to be so many other things that will take place. You say, don't you feel for those people? Well, wait a second. In Acts chapter 6, or Revelation chapter 6, they're even going to call for the rocks and the hills to fall on them to hide them from the face of the Son of God. They will have rejected him. They'll do it again, by the way, in Revelation chapter 16. They want nothing to do with him. But the longer his coming, the worse the catastrophe. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Now, I've got a selfish reason also for wanting Jesus to come back, and that's this, because I'll be united with loved ones. I don't know about you, but the longer I live, the more I've got people over there than I've got over here. I mean, think about it a second. We get to see some folks. I've had the privilege in the last 50 years of knowing a lot of good Christians. And uh, man, I'll tell you, that's been very, very special to know good believers. In this church, listen, if you've been here a while, you could run off a whole great number of names. I'm really kind of excited about seeing Chong Lewis again. She was the first of our missionary families to go on to glory. Died of cancer. David Lewis's first wife. And I remember when she got David into church, she brought him on a Sunday morning. Now, she had been going to the Korean church in town, which was also somewhat charismatic. And, uh, but she wanted her husband to be saved. So she brought him to our church. She really didn't know much about us. She had heard a little bit about us, that ours was a place to preach the gospel often. And she got him out that Sunday morning, and he only came to get her off his back. And so he came, he heard the message, and we had a couple of different people that went up to him and said, wouldn't you like to get saved today? And, and he said no. And then he was just about out the door, and Ray Berry came up to him, and Ray Berry said, uh, do you know if you die tonight, you go to heaven? He said there was something about the way he asked it. I couldn't lie to him. I said no, and he said, wouldn't you like to? He said, I said, yes, and Ray Berry took him aside and won him to Christ. Amen. It's going to be good to see Ray Berry again, too. It's going to be good to see Brother Russell Davis again. Hey, we just had a service for Jeannie and, and Woody Kaywood. It's going to be good to see them again. Hallelujah. And we can go back over the years. We can name a number of names. Going to get to see Johnny Pinkerton again. In that terrible van accident with that singing group from Crown. And uh, he graduated from our school here. He was in love with the Lord, was serving the Lord. You get to see him again. Matter of fact, there's one guy I'm going to get to see by the name of Raleigh Ecker. Now, you don't know his name. Raleigh Ecker uh, was a baseball player at our high school. He was a year behind me. In my entire time growing up, I had one other student ever invite me to church it was Raleigh Ecker he was in 10th grade I was in 11th grade and he invited me they had a Bible church matter of fact uh, coach uh, Dylan was the basketball coach and uh, he was a Sunday school teacher of the teen boys and so Raleigh Ecker invited me to come to church I mean nobody else Now, I'm sure there are probably some other Christians in town and some others probably in the high school, but he's the only one that ever even invited me to church. When he was in 11th grade, he ended up coming down with leukemia and died. 
going to get to see him in glory. I'm kind of excited about that so I can pat him on the back and thank him for caring for my soul when I didn't have a clue how to get saved or who Jesus was or anything else. I'm going to get to see my mama. I mean, she's been, she's been dead now for about, uh, good night, about 30 years, I guess. I got to win my mom to Christ. I remember one of the last times we got to talk. We were at her home in Homosassa, Florida, and we were walking together down their driveway. They lived a little bit out in the country. And she said to me, she said, Mike, uh, you know, I always knew I was going to die. I just never thought I'd die this young. She died at the age of 50, uh, 59. And I said to her, I said, well, Mom, you know, it's really not important when you die. It is important how you die. Now, I'd already led her to Christ, but I wanted to make sure that she still understood it because she never had a whole lot of opportunity to grow in the Lord like a lot of people do. And uh, she said, yes, I know that I've asked Jesus to save me. I led her to the Lord at Battle Creek Baptist Church just outside of South Pittsburgh, Tennessee. She came down to hear me preach my third message. The end, of the, the end of the service. She didn't respond in the invitation, but she was weeping, and I said to her, Mom, wouldn't you like to get that settled right now about where you're going? And she said yes, and so we went to a little room. We had, we had a couple of rooms that had been put into the building, divide up that little auditorium in that little church, and she trusted Christ as Savior. It's going to be good to see her again. I can't wait to see my mom again. And if Jesus came back today, I'd get to see her. Not only that, I guess the second one's kind of selfish as well. My trials will be over. You know, I'm kind of getting, I'm kind of realizing this thing about health, that it's really not going to get much better for me. I'm starting to figure that out. You know, when you reach a certain age, and there's a whole bunch of us in here that have reached that age, you're just trying to maintain. I realize I'm never going to run a sprint. Matter of fact, I'm never going to run. <laughs> That's all there is to it. It's not going to happen. <laughs> the other day, I, I sprinted out to the <laughs> mailbox. My feet never left the ground. It was... But I was huffing and puffing when I was done, man. <laughs> now, I'm one of these fellas. It's always meant a lot to, I like people to like me. Of course, this morning's message didn't help with that. <laughs> and some people enjoyed it, but some people endured it, and that's okay, I understand. Uh, the truth is, though, I love the Lord more than I love being liked. But still, and sometimes, I, I, I never saw this coming. I, no one ever told me. I, you know, Brother Weeks, there were things professors never told me about preaching. I mean, I figured, Brother Pompwell, that if, if I got up and preached the Bible, you know, the, the, the booze crowd, they'd be angry at me. And, you know, other people would say bad things about me and things like that. I just had no idea that there would be so many believers who would eventually hate my guts. Pardon me, you like me? 
Give him time. <laughs> you know, we're so always concerned about the economy and all that kind of stuff. No bells in heaven. No Huntsville utilities in heaven. Well, you don't work there anymore. Don't worry about that, Brother Ron. No tax increases. No inflation in heaven. We're not going to worry about any of that stuff, man. Don't worry about retirement. How are we going to make it when we retire? How are we going to do it? Well... We're just going to spend a whole lot of time rejoicing and praising Him. You know, the more I think about that, I I understand why some people don't want to go to heaven. The idea of spending eternity praising God and thanking God and glorifying God. You've heard people say, I wonder if we'll bowl in heaven. Well, how much fun would that be? Bowling a 300 game every time you bowl. (laughs) I mean, after the first day, I think I'd be kind of tired of it. Well, I wonder if we'll play baseball in heaven. No. Because how could you have the perfect pitcher and the perfect batter who always hits a home run, but the pitcher always strikes everybody out? It doesn't work. You can't have sports in heaven, otherwise there'd be fights. We know there can't be hockey in heaven. We're not, you know, the Super Bowl is only super down here. It's not super in heaven. I don't think heaven cares about the Super Bowl. I do know it cares about souls being saved, though. No sickness will be there. No more hospital visits. No more doctor visits. No worries or concerns about heart attacks or cancer. Strokes. No worry about pandemics. They keep telling us there are going to be more pandemics. COVID's not over, you know. China's still suffering, going through all kinds of lockdown over COVID. I mean, you don't have to worry about somebody coming up in heaven and saying, you need this vaccine. It's not going to Isn't that wonderful? I mean, hey, no sickness there. I like that. How about no more tears there? No more tears. No more crying. Because there'll be no more pain. There'll be no more suffering. There'll be no more loss. There'll be no weeping over that teenager that's gone astray. There'll be no crying over the Christian brother who's fallen again. Now, you realize lost people don't have that to look forward to. All a lost person has to look forward to is burning in hell for eternity. Because there is nothing else that awaits them. When Evil Knievel was jumping the Snake River Canyon, tried to, failed at it. And uh, Buddy had a parachute on the back of his rocket-propelled motorcycle. And uh, he survived it, but he was asked the question, what if you don't make it? And he said, well, I guess I'll just be in hell drinking a beer waiting for my buddies. No, he's wrong. He'd been in hell, but he wouldn't be drinking any beer. There's nothing to cool his tongue. And instead of waiting for his buddies, he'd be crying for someone to go to his buddies and warn them lest they also come to that place of torment. We know that on the authority of Jesus Christ, we know that. But no more tears. No more standing at a funeral and seeing a loved one pass on. Not going to be any of that. 
And in spite of whatever suffering they may, there may be, I mean, hey, if this world goes on, there's going to be more wars. You know, all those 60s songwriters during the free love generation thought that by wearing flowers and looking weird that somehow they could stop all wars from taking place again. Not going to happen because of the sinfulness of the flesh and the sinfulness of man. There's not going to be any of that in heaven. Hey, not going to be any devil running around. Praise God. But Paul could say, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory, the glory that we're going to have in him. This is powerful. And I'd say even so, come Lord Jesus. Now this next one, I've said this several times before, but this really means an awful lot to me. Now it's it's not the biggest one, But it is a big reason why I would love for Jesus to come back today. If he came back today, I wouldn't fail him anymore. Do you ever just get sick of yourself? When he comes back, I'll have that new body... And I won't fail him anymore. 1971, he saved me. I fell in love with Christ. After all, he gave me eternal life. He forgave all my sin. And my desire has been to live for him. And yet, I'd have to say with the songwriter, so many times the unbended knee. So many times a closed mouth when I should have witnessed. So many times, angry and really put out, not very long-suffering with some of the brethren who needed somebody that was long-suffering. So many wasted hours. The songwriter put it this way. The hours that I have wasted are so many. The hours I've spent for Christ so few because of all my lack of love for Jesus. I wonder if his heart is breaking too. How many are the lost that I have lifted? How many are the chained I've helped to free? I wonder, have I done my best for Jesus when he has done everything for me? I wondered why he's kept me around, taking up space. And it bothers me that more Christian aren't, Christians aren't bothered that they do so little. My lack of service bothers me. And it seems like I fail him so much. I think Paul had a glimpse of that. Go over to Romans chapter 7 a moment. Romans chapter 7. Most of us have read this and said, my, that is... Me. Notice beginning in verse 18, he says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. 
Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God. But with the flesh the law of sin. Yeah, I want Jesus to come today. I want him to come because of the ever-expanding population. Because I'll be reunited with loved ones. Because my trials will be over. Because I won't fail them anymore. But most of all. Let me tell you the biggest reason I want Jesus to come. Because I'll see Jesus. I see him. I see him. Think about that. You know, we had the memorial service yesterday for Woody and Jeannie. And, and by the way, thank you, those of you who served and those of you who came. I know it was, uh, it was a special time. But I'm kind of jealous of Woody and Jeannie. They've seen him. I've preached about him. I've read about him. I prayed to him. They've seen him. That makes me kind of jealous. They've actually seen Jesus. In 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 2, he says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Wow. Now, I've had, I think it might be a privilege, I've had the privilege of seeing some very famous people. I've gotten to see three presidents. Gotten to shake hands with two presidents. Now, that's an honor to be able to see or shake hands with the president of the United States. I've had that privilege three times. But that's nothing like what this is going to be like. I can't wait to see him. Every time I do the funeral of believers, I envy them. He is the one of whom Peter said in 1 Peter 1.8, whom having not seen, we love. I have that on my wall in my office. Whom having not seen, we love. I read it every time I go into my office. I can't help it. It's the first thing I see when I come through my office door. Whom having not seen, we love. This is the one of whom it is said, who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the one who took my sins upon himself, whose own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you are healed. This is the one who became sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I can't wait to see him. This is the one who paid my sin debt. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us to offer me that free gift of salvation. This is the one who left heaven's glory to die the death that I should die. 
But my death could never pay for anything. His death paid for all my sins. You know, I look at me. I didn't love him. I didn't seek him. I wasn't going after God. If somebody hadn't asked me to play softball at the church team, I never stepped inside that church door. I went to play softball. You know, there's a number of things I wish I could forget. I wish I could forget some of the jokes that I heard and repeated about Jesus when I was lost. I wish I could forget that like the rest of the Allison family, I used his name as a curse word. I can't forget that. But he loved me anyway. He died for me anyway. He saved me anyway. But he not only died for me, he sought me, he found me, he saved me, he changed me. And the scripture says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless in the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. He is delighted in saving me. And he's going to be delighted in presenting me to himself. Man, I look forward to that day when I shall see him. You know, one of the most exciting moments in any wedding is when the bride comes around the corner and begins to walk down the aisle. We've kind of got that backwards, don't we, in our wedding ceremony? Because the husband-wife relationship is supposed to be a picture of Christ and his church. And do you realize in the wedding supper, it's going to be all about the groom, not the bride. It's going to be all about Jesus. How wonderful that'll be. Even so, come Lord Jesus. But if he came tonight, I have no way of knowing and I have nobody particular in mind. But let's say 10 minutes from now that Jesus would come for his church and catch us out. Every lost person wouldn't be taken out. They'd still be here. I wonder if anybody here would be left in the pew. If he came right now and suddenly people were gone. What a horrible thing. Somebody asked R.G. Lee one time, he used to pastor the Bellevue Baptist Church, later pastored by Adrian Rogers. They asked him how many of his members he believed he would see in heaven. He said about 20%. I thought, my goodness, that's kind of low, isn't it? I hope. I hope that's low. But imagine, let's say there were 20 lost people here. And Jesus came back while I was preaching. Suddenly, the believers are out of here. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, they're gone. I wonder what they'd tell themselves. Because if you're seated here and you're a member here, you've heard the gospel of Christ. And the Bible says that he would send, he would send a lie that they would believe that. Would they tell one another, it can't be the rapture, we're still here. 
don't know what they tell themselves. But what a horrible thing to not get caught out of here when Jesus comes. And yet I pray tonight, even so, come Lord Jesus. Do you have your salvation settled? Because it's going to be so quick. There's not going to be time to, oh, we're trust him now. Left behind. What a horrible thought. But for me, even so, come Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. I can't wait to see you. To see the one, to see those prints in his hands of the nails. See the scars in his feet. Even so, come Lord Jesus. But Lord, I am concerned tonight. You know us. You know who here is saved and who isn't. Just like when you said to the twelve, will ye also go away? And Peter said, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then you said to Peter, have not I chosen you twelve? And one of you is a devil. And he spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him. You knew, the disciples didn't, but you knew that Judas was lost. And you know who here has not been born again. I pray God you'd convict them, put the fear of God in their hearts, that they'd turn to Jesus tonight and be saved. And for us who are believers... Whatever time you've given us left, deal with our hearts about being faithful to you in our service for our God. And we'll thank you, Lord, as you deal with our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name I pray.